0: Roger in your last player here also. Mission sequence start. Three, two, one. Lift off. We have a lift off. Well, it has been fun using gravity as a metaphor and uh, also in this series, appealing to the analytical mind. And I do want to let you know that the bonus video is coming. I did talk to the team and uh, our video team will be doing that. It'll just be something we release online. Uh, I also want to let you know that this may give birth to future series. Uh, some of the staff were saying we should do one called Vestiges, so be looking for that. But I just I love the creativity, and when you're talking with people like Richard Hammer and Jim Bradford, it just created all new ideas for us. This series is something that I love digging into. Now, in 1962, I want to let you know that the goal wasn't to break just the power of gravity. In 1903, in December of 1903, the Wright brothers had already broken the power of gravity. They had uh, the first flight with the Wright flyer. It went for 12 seconds. 12 seconds. Easy to get frequent flyer miles on that one. 12 seconds right there. And if you want to see it, you can actually see the Wright flyer uh, in the Smithsonian. But, so they had already broken the power of gravity. But in the 60s, in 62, the goal was to not just break the power of gravity, it was to get to the moon get to the moon. And it was an unbelievable accomplishment that President John F. Kennedy stated for the country. He said, I want to get to the moon. And he stood there in 1962 in Rice Stadium in Houston, and he said this. He said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energy and skills. Because that challenge is one we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and others too. I get excited when I read that. I think about him standing there and saying that, and people criticize it. They said it'll cost too much money, it's a waste of time. But he said, we are going to do this, we're going to stretch ourselves, We, we accept the challenge. And then in July of 1969, Apollo 11 safely landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong was the first one to break Earth's gravitational pull and actually land on the moon. Others had had floated around space, but he got to the moon. He was the first man there. And then just just a few moments later, another astronaut joined him. And I remember I was four years old. It's crazy how I can remember this. It's one of those experiences that I can remember. I was four years old. This will date it. It was in black and white. It was in black and white. And my mom and dad were watching with a black and white TV. And my dad was like, this is fascinating. There is a man on the moon. And I said, I think I can see him. He's like, no, you can't. All right. You know, but I was four, you know. But it was, I, I do remember that, that dad was just like, there's a man on the moon. And ever since then, it's just been like, it's, it seems normal that people should be able to go to the moon. But it was a big deal that we broke Earth's gravitational pull, that we put a man on the moon. NASA has been doing this since, you know, 1958. They've been dedicated to space exploration and what was seeming as impossible to get to the moon. Now, how many know that Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, he's like, I'm going to do private trips to the moon. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get, so after they work out the bugs, how many are with me? After they work out the bugs, sign me up for a two-for-one. Becca's going with me. All right. No, she's not. She's like, take one of the boys. All right. What seemed impossible? I mean, now is being accomplished by like people, private enterprise are saying we want to do this. But only two people walked on the moon. And you may not realize this. Again, some of you saw this. You were older than four at the time. A lot of our church is young. Again, you're thinking this is not a big deal. We've been to the moon many times. This is a big deal. There are only two people that initially walked on the moon. And there was a third astronaut, Michael Collins. He was orbiting the moon and he never reached the surface on that trip. In his biography, he wrote this. I want you to hear this. He said, this venture has been structured for three men. And I consider my third to be as necessary as either of the other two. I read that and I just, I, I, it just jumped out to me about the, the people that are needed and the fact that he said, no, I don't feel slighted. Without me, they don't get to the moon. And I I couldn't help but think of 1 Corinthians 12, which the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, indispensable. Without Collins, we would have had the first two men landing on the moon, but we'd have had the first two funerals in space because there's no way back without him being a part of the operation. And I I want to just share this. So many people are needed to get a rocket up into space. So many people are needed to break the power of Earth's gravity so that NASA can send, whether it's the space shuttle or a rocket or whatever they're sending, so many people are needed to break that power and so many people are needed to break sin's power in people's lives. We we need you. We need every single person using their gift. NASA in the 60s needed 400,000 people from 21,000 different companies to actually put their efforts behind this to say, we are going to break the power of Earth's gravitational pull. There was a primary crew, a backup crew, and a support crew just for the astronauts that were leaving the Earth. There were psychologists, there were wildlife experts. If you don't realize this, if you ever get a chance to go to NASA and go down to Florida, where they launch all the rockets, I mean, it's a wildlife refuge. I mean, there are alligators everywhere. I was just there just a few months ago. There are alligators everywhere. And they've got to make sure that alligators are staying off the launch pad when they get ready to go up. Otherwise, Pete is going to have trouble with it. And besides that, could you imagine if a gator got in the space shuttle? Gators of the galaxy. I mean, it could happen right there. It could just be. Anyways, so, I mean, they've got people that are taking care of alligators that are at NASA. You understand there's a lot of people. They even have somebody that is called a nasal knot nasal nut. You know what they do? This guy smells everything that's going into the rocket to see if it smells bad or not. Would you, how many want that job? I mean, think about that. That guy smells every single thing because he, he says this. His name is George Aldrich, and he's been doing it for like 40 years. And he said, you just can't open a window in space. How many know? Like, you just can't open a window in space. So he says, we've got to smell everything. And they have a scale from zero to four. And anything that scores 2.5 or smellier is out. He said, it's out. It's just not going to And he said, surprisingly, the one thing that they didn't realize smell so bad is Velcro strips. Velcro strips. So they said, a lot of Velcro strips don't make it. But he says, now I can't do anything about human stink, but I can smell the other things that I can tell what can go in. And this is what he says about it. I lucked into the job, actually. My dad worked out there, and I never thought I was qualified. I never thought I was qualified to work at NASA. But he said, guess what? I got in. I'm the nasal knot. I mean, there's many parts. And I want to tell you right now, you are qualified. You are qualified. You are qualified. They even have people at NASA, believe it or not, they have people that lay in bed. Did you know that? They have people that lay in bed uh, for for seven weeks. They lay in, in, I'm sorry, for 10 weeks. They lay in bed for 10 weeks for 70 days at a six degree tilt. So you're tilted down six degrees. You can't get out of bed. And they want to uh, study the effects of atrophy and what it does to you to be confined to a bed. And some of you are like, sign me up. I'll tell you what, I'd rather smell smelly Velcro than be in a bed. You know, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. But they have people. Do you understand? Huge team, many parts. With the nasal knot in mind, think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll read a little more of the text. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Come on, nasal knot, but in the fact. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I want to say this. There are big visions need big teams. Big visions need big teams. What if Kennedy would have stood up and said, we want to have a garage sale, Three people, and three people, nobody, he said, you, it wasn't that big of a deal. What if he said, hey, we're just gonna do a, a, a bingo night. We're just gonna do a b-. like, what, that's not a dream? We don't need a lot of people for that. But he said, we wanna get to the moon. We want a big, we have a big vision and we need a big team. I'm gonna tell you this right now, our church has a big vision. And we need a big team to accomplish a big vision. And I don't think we need a nasal knot, but how many know that being in the nursery is pretty close? You're like, yeah, that's dirty. All right. <laughs> Anyways, we need you. There's big vision here. The Apostle Paul, he had big vision, and you may not realize this. The Apostle Paul wrote up to 13 books. There's some dispute on it. Was it 13, 12, or whatever? But let's say 13 books that he wrote. The Apostle Paul is doing so much, he has big vision. And this is what he says in Romans eleven thirteen. He says, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this. The Apostle Paul was saying, I, I have a big vision. The Gentiles were the whole rest of the world. He said, God's called me as an apostle to the whole rest of the world. I've got a big vision. I need a big team. And you may not realize this, but Paul had three different teams. He had an intimate circle. You might know these names, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas. That was his intimate circle. He had independent co-workers in Aquila, Priscilla, and Titus. And he had local church representatives, many of them, over 40 different people that were on his team. He names them. He says, there are Jews, there are Gentiles, there are men, there are women, there are free people, there are slaves. There's all these people. He said, I have a dream. God has called me to be somebody that reaches the rest of the world and I can't do it myself. I need a team. And I wanna tell you this, if we wanna reach the goals that God has for us as a church, these are big goals. I didn't dream it up. I was praying like, that we could just have a church that would be a beautiful church in in the South Metro and then God's like, no, I've got something bigger for you. It's multi-site. No, I've got something bigger for you. I want you to send out 500 missionaries. No, I've got something bigger for you. And I feel like I'm standing in front of the church today saying, we have a big dream. We have a big dream and we need a lot of people. I believe God wants us to get to 20,000 people. I believe God wants us to get to sending $10 million to world missions annually. I believe he wants us to send out 500 missionaries. And the other two numbers are based on the fact that we need that to send out 500 missionaries. These things that we're choosing to do, that God has asked to do, we're doing them. They're not easy and they're hard. They are hard. But playing off of Kennedy, this is a challenge we are willing to accept. This is a challenge we intend to fulfill as a church. This is one we are unwilling to postpone. We need a large team lifting people out of sin's gravitational pull and helping people break the gravity that is there and helping them to find Jesus as Lord and Savior. I mean, we choose to go to the world. We choose to go to the lost. We choose to help people find Christ and we need you to join the team. This is a big vision and we need a big team. And God has you here for a very specific reason.